Hey everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode of the Aquademia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Loughlin. I'm Justin Grant. And Maddie is not with us today, but we were able to sit down with a familiar voice. If you listen to all of our episodes, if you listen to the part one of the Taste of Cena episodes, you've heard this person before, but we sat down for a full episode with Zach Din of Sea Warden and uh, got a little bit into the weeds, talked about what Sea Warden does, how it works, you know, how they're collecting this data and what it's being used for. And it's super fascinating. But before before we get into that, I want to remind everybody to please subscribe to Aquademia wherever you get your podcasts so you can get all those new episodes automatically downloaded to your device as soon as they're available. And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact us, it's really easy now. Go to globalseafood.org slash podcast and fill out that contact us form. And lastly, if you are feeling generous and you like the show, you know, you get something out of it, we would really appreciate it if you Take a minute to just leave us a quick rating and review on whatever podcast player you use. It just helps us out a lot. So without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation we had with Zach, and we'll talk to you at the end. Welcome to the Aquademia Podcast. Our diet is hurting the environment in myriad ways. I mean, we desperately need to eat more seafood. This is a pioneering industry with a whole lot of people who have really good ideas and a lot of experience and are unafraid. Aquademia is your go-to podcast for a fresh take on all things seafood. All right, so we're sitting down with Zach Din, who is the co-founder and CEO of Sea Warden. How's it going, Zach? It's I'm uh, doing really well. Thank you so much, Sean. Awesome. So if that voice sounds familiar, the name sounds familiar, just like we said with the last episode, um, Zach did join us in, for a short conversation in our Taste of Cena, one of our, I think it was the first Taste of Cena episode that we did this year. Um, he came down and sat down at the booth with us and kind of had a quick 15-minute conversation about Sea Warden and everything that they're doing, but it was pretty high level, so we're going to get into the weeds a little bit more with this episode. Justin, I know you're super excited about this because you love the seafood innovation episodes, and uh, I think this is a pretty cool technology that I know you've been excited to talk about, so I'm sure you have a lot of good questions today. Yeah, well, I'm sure that my questions are probably going to be the questions our, our audience will also have because there's a lot of technical science stuff I'm sure that I don't know a lot about that Zach does and he will be sharing it with us today. For sure. But before we do it, if anyone didn't listen to that episode where we got uh, a little bit of information about Zach and about Seaward and Zach, why don't you give us a quick little background on yourself and kind of what your story is and how you got to uh, this place where you uh, co-founded Seaward and then we'll get into what Seaward is and does after that. Uh, yeah, sounds great. So I'm from California. Um, I was li- been living in the Bay Area for about 10 years where uh, I studied at UC Berkeley, uh, studying remote sensing, which is, you know, the use of satellites to monitor uh, phenomena happening on the Earth. And by looking at lots and lots of satellite imagery, I actually literally stumbled across aquaculture by, by looking at, uh, at images and got really fascinated by what I was seeing and the, the scale of what I was seeing. Like, what well, are these grid cage things out in the ocean? Yeah, why are they? Uh, so for me, I would I just like Google Earth is a good example or Google Maps, right? So you can kind of scope out or view these areas on the planet that you normally may not be able to travel to or you want to look at them before you actually go to visit them. What was your interest prior to kind of targeting these satellite images towards aquaculture? What other things were you looking at? What was your interest even to begin with to, to start looking at satellite imagery? Yeah, so my my background is environmental planning. So 
Um, I study and manage like environmental like environmental issues, and with a strong focus on data science and what's called geospatial uh, uh, analysis. So it's the it's the art and science of making making maps. Mm-hmm. And during my time doing this, and also um, relying on a lot of uh, collected data, I I started realizing that I wanted to get to the the raw, the primary source of data. And oftentimes, you know, these project sites would be like quite far away or hard to get to. And so by getting satellite imagery, uh, I was able to get to the primary source. And so I really focused on creating scalable and and automated ways to extract information from from satellite data. So which leads us to... aquaculture in a, in a way. So I don't want to go too far ahead into this this story or Sea Warden as, as a company. So I'm trying to think what three questions I would want to ask you, right? Because where I want to eventually get to is you are building a database, correct? And something that we, planet Earth does not have this, right? So you are building something that is, that is needed. Can you kind of lead us into, could you try to maybe start from the beginning and maybe talk about as you've been exploring aquaculture, like what, what did you find? At what point did you make a decision? Like there is a need for me to be capturing this information and this data and then kind of go from there onto leading up to this database that you're building. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. Maybe I'll roll it back. Just maybe just even before I started at UC Berkeley and that's sure. when I was working as a I was working for the city of San Francisco, uh, working on sustainable projects, uh, mainly uh, tr- transit and bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure. And right next to us uh, was Uber's headquarters. And uh, I essentially, I, I would stare out across to the other side and just wonder and wonder what they were doing in there that was driving so much rapid change um, in the mobility space. And then I sort of looked at in frustration on what we were doing and was just just very dumbfounded by what it was like, what was really holding us back. Um, and so when I went to grad school, I really promised myself to really investigate not only the application of data and technology, but also fundamentally the, the harnessing of human and, tech, and you know, technology capital to drive sustain, sustainable change around the world. Um, and essentially, like, like I mentioned about my interest in using satellite data as a primary source for data for the entire planet, and being able to make make sustainable and impactful changes at a planetary scale, um, I I realized if if I wanted to, if I was going to focus on satellite remote sensing, the the really popular I guess common application of that in the food space is uh, agriculture, and the idea of studying or focusing on wheat fields or big corn fields in the Midwest didn't excite me too much, so I. That's sort of how I narrowed my interest more towards like the coastline. So how did you, you said you, you literally like stumbled upon aquaculture. So were you kind of investigating some of, some of those ideas and then you just kind of like found fish farms and you were like, oh, this is more interesting than that. <laughs> how, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. So at, at the beginning of my master's program, I, my general thesis proposal was, can we create a, an automatic monitoring system to monitor some sort of environmental issue happening on this planet and my thesis advisor said well you need to pick something one thing and i was like okay you need a topic i was like yeah i was like it's not corn it's not it's not weed or whatever and was really captivated by the ocean and then i started looking at started discovering at first it was uh fish cages in the ocean and i just thought it was a really interesting 
um, concept. And the more I looked into it and went down the whole like Google YouTube rabbit hole, the more I thought this was like really, really fascinating. And wow, aquaculture like is feeding the world and it's going to continue to feed the world. And like there is a lot of opportunity for innovation in this space. And there is not a there's not a single sole source of information to catalog and monitor or map the world's aquaculture. So enter Sea Warden, right? I mean, how, how did that project, is that what you focused on when you were in your master's program? That's what you decided? Yeah, well, my, my thesis advisor told me to cool it down a bit and pick one country and design, a, build and test a system on one country first. So I ended up choosing the Mediterranean and focusing on European sea bass and sea bream. And uh, along with uh, David Wong, who is the co-founder of Sea Warden, uh, we worked together to create a deep learning model that was able to automatically detect uh, and detect, measure, and and survey all of the fish cages in the Greek uh, exclusive economic zone. And I believe the total was around 6,600 cages um, spread across more than 200 different uh, farm sites. So. Yeah, we essentially created the entire concept uh, there. And uh, yeah, it's definitely scalable for, for further use. So now we're looking at Sea Warden, which you brought together, and talk to our listeners about how it works, what it does for farmers, and kind of, you know, just start with the basics. Right. Yeah, we're basically Shrimp Warden at this point. Um, so shrimp Warden. <laughs> Um, so Sea Warden tackles uh, critical data gaps within the aquaculture in- industry by leveraging satellites and AI to uh, map and monitor global aquaculture. And yeah, right now we're focusing primarily on shrimp because in terms of, you know, to an educated aquaculture audience, um, our initial, my initial interest in terms of cage production, uh, there's, it's, there's a lot of uh already like quite a bit of regulation and monitoring and IOT sensors and such like in this in the salmon and cage space. However, in the pond aquaculture space, uh, you know, it's being conducted all around the world, oftentimes in remote areas with um, inadequate levels of oversight and lots of industry fragmentation. So the ability to monitor uh, ponds across an entire region is uh, is proving to be very very useful for many different uh, industry stakeholders. Justin, you look like you got something. <laughs> I, have, I have a bunch of things and I'm trying to organize them in my head on how we want this. Me being a little bit nerdy, I want to start talking a little bit about satellites and how you even get, get, get access nerdy. to that get. stuff. But I want to go there yet. Yeah. I want to talk about, you used a lot of technical and science terms that I want to try to put into a more of a, a 101 level for our listeners. So because you have this... AKA the, us. Yeah, yeah, aka me. <laughs> so, things that you can that are valuable to a farmer that you can sh- that you can provide them right through this data, and I'm I'm just gonna spitball a few of these. Like you you can probably tell when a pond is drained, when a pond is filled. You can probably tell by the contrast and the color if there's some sort of bloom happening. At, can you talk more about what the specifics of of things that maybe farmers have come to you and said it would be really helpful if I could see patterns in blank or 
well, mostly patterns, right? Because you can probably go back in time, even before, I don't know how long, maybe you can talk about this. What is the backlog for satellite data? Like, can you go back decades to, to I don't, I mean, again, I don't know if a, if certain farms well, would even be just, in existence just, that long. Justin, but. I want to, but I think let's go back a little bit before that, right? And let's, can you talk about what kind of data are you collecting and how do you get it? And then let's use that to, to figure out how that's useful to the farmers. Perfect. Okay. Yeah, sure. Um, I'll start off with just like our, our understanding of sort of the industry needs and wants. Um, starting, if we start at the kind of the, the core at being the farmers, um, essentially what we hear is that they want more access to the market. They want to have good, they want to be able to sell their, their product for the prices that make sense for them. And they want to be able to access um, sources of capital and insurance products that helps them to grow their operations and uh, protect and you know their their activity. So that in itself is really difficult to create, especially in in the developing world space because of the lack because of the high levels of risk and uncertainty due to the lack of data. And this is cited all around and all over the place in terms of the lack of insurance and financial products like in in developing world aquaculture and so that's really the main sort of angle we're trying to tackle right now and as well as um, gaining access to the market so we know um, certifications are a a possible way that uh, you know producers can enter the market uh, or enter you know western markets and, and such and having all that data collected or providing those certification services to farms can be quite expensive. And so our initial sort of angle was to provide these, these types of illuminations into the aquaculture space that will allow um, the reduction of costs um, for market access, as well as increasing the opportunities of finance and insurance products like to, to farms. So that's like level, I guess, level one for us. And then going deeper, uh, sort of what Justin's hinting at is in terms of sensor-free or sensor-light uh, um, aquaculture management is is sort of like the holy grail in terms of remote sensing, but that's honestly that's a, quite a quite a ways off, um, at least for us. So we recently spoke to Tony Chen. I don't know if you've met Tony from Manolin, and they, it sounds pretty similar to what you guys are doing, but it it almost sounds like the um, the goals and the outcomes uh, are where they kind of di- split off a little bit because they were collecting big data primarily surrounding salmon farms and the environmental impacts that uh, affect salmon farms, which is different than shrimp, obviously. Um, And they were using big data to make predictions for like disease outbreaks and things like that. Do you think that this application could work in that way as well? I know your your primary thing is a little bit, you know, your, your goals are different. Because you're not really using it for predictive stuff; it's more for data collection and and you know helping farmers get what they need to help get towards that certification. Right now, that's kind of you said that's kind of a big focus. So, um, you know, I I see a lot of similarities, but I also see differences. So, do you, in your mind, is that kind of something that you're striving for as well? Is to get enough data that you can that farmers can start making predictions in the future for their farm? Yeah, absolutely, and that's certainly. Good. Yeah, that's certainly the goal uh, that we're working towards. It's, I guess, the reason why we're starting here is because there is such a lack of information to even start that sort of a process. So, um, you know, mm-hmm. there's this uh, growing movement for key data elements. Um, you know, GDST like is, is really pushing for this idea of a standardized and interoperable way of collecting uh, data about production as well as like the crop that's being um, 
pass through the supply chain. And so without that basic understanding of where's the farm, uh, how many ponds does it have, how big are they, like when are they being stocked, none of this data is, is available at a large enough scale to actually conduct like machine learning and creating predictive analytics. So we basically have to mm-hmm. start at the at the very base of key data, data elements. And that's why we're essentially mapping ponds, um, collecting historic production data by satellite. And over time, I guess in terms of like the kind of like the, like what's what's getting like pushed out of the kitchen, like the C word in kitchen is, you know, we're able to put out like the, the key data elements as like the first, the first course. Um, but over time, like being able to put out more and more interesting analytics. So uh, crop forecasting, essentially like creating like a scoring system to to rank farms based off of past performance, which could allow. Oh, cool. Yeah, that, that's really what we're, yeah, that's kind of the next thing right now where, you know, we want to be able to show extension service providers, here are the farms that are having the most challenges in terms of reliable production. So, you know, here is where you can target your, your teams. And uh, if you're a processor, we can essentially say, look, here are farms that we've already found that have like pretty reliable production over the past, you know, 12 months, two years. And they meet all of these different spatial constraints around not being close to a mangrove or, or protected natural habitat. Here is a short list. Yeah, a lot of, of the stuff that we see in the, the BAP standards. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So the idea is that like the standard, I mean, the, the amount of certified farms can grow like much faster with this approach. And it just kind of provides an immediate tool that helps processors say like, all of my farms meet these criteria that I'm striving for. And to the benefit of the farms that like are meeting those um you know, those requirements. So when you talked to us in Boston, we talked about how you get that data, right? Like kind of tapping into existing hardware technologies that are already collecting this data and you're just kind of like tapping in and grabbing what you want to bring together, right? But again, if people miss that, can you talk about how you collect the data, how the AI kind of works into it? I know you, you mentioned AI on the on your website and stuff, cloud computing. Uh, I just, it's all new to me. It's a whole new world <laughs> for me. And um, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around how you're able to get data for up to, you know, a certain amount of time in, in the past. It's fascinating to me. Can you just kind of give a rundown uh, in, in terms that we'll all understand? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds good. Um, Essentially, satellites have been flying around, like orbiting the Earth for decades, um, since the 1950s and 60s. And then the first uh, open source, like public mission was launched by NASA in 1972. Uh, It's called Landsat 1. And since Landsat 1, so it's, it's 50 years that we've had satellites orbiting the Earth. And all of this data is stored on massive like data center repositories. And it's essentially a lot of this data has been sitting around and has been in a lot of ways unusable by a lot a lot of industries because of how difficult it is to analyze this data. So a single satellite image can be several kilometers. Noisy. Um, a single satellite image can be several kilometers uh, in in dimension and. Essentially, if you, if you downloaded even one or two scenes onto your computer, it's probably a couple gigabytes already. So it's really because of cloud computing, the ability to essentially do data processing uh, on the cloud and just simply using your computer almost like a remote control for a much more powerful computer offsite. Has it been uh, more, I guess, allowable for uh, more users to be able to access satellite data and start processing it? Just to clarify, when you're saying data 
that's primarily images. It's just it's yeah, satellite images, right? Okay. Yes. Just so people aren't thinking that there's like, you know, some, you know, 1980s sci-fi office where it's just papers with numbers that people have to interpret or whatever. Like we're talking about pictures. <laughs> yeah. Very, very, very large pictures that are gigabytes in size. And uh, to the point where, you know, if, if you try to collect all those imagery on your desktop computer, you're just going to run out of space or you're not going to have enough processing power to get the job done. Um, and so, in, so I guess the technologies is that satellite, I like to explain to people, satellites have been around for a long time. It's nothing to be alarmed about. There are obviously like government reconnaissance satellites that we don't have access to. All of the open source missions uh, have resolutions of, of around 10 meters. And so when you look at a farm, you can see the ponds and you really can't make out anything else. And we really like that. And our, all of our analysis tools are optimized to um, make use of this type of imagery. So it ends up making the cost much lower and much more, I guess, resolution appropriate for the application. And so, yeah, in terms of the technology, there's the satellite imagery, there's cloud computing, which really enables the data processing. And then finally, there's um, AI, which is kind of like a misnomer for a, like, it's like a business kind of easy way to say machine learning and math and statistics and you know, like a lot of it, I would say a lot of people that say they use AI, like, yeah, they actually don't use AI. But anyway, so to be more specific, because I know Justin likes things to be clear. Um, <laughs> you already know me. Yeah. So specifically what we're doing is we're using uh, deep learning, which is a, you know, a neural network uh, approach. And David would explain as much better than I could. Um, but in any case, we essentially train a model a detection model that says, we basically say, hey, this is what we're looking for. We're looking for farms that are, or farms that contain square ponds or rectangular ponds of certain sizes. And we essentially teach it, this is what we're looking for. And then when we train the model, the model knows it's like, oh, I'm looking for this feature. And we give it imagery and then it, it, it does that process. So, what steps do you have to go through to gain access to these, whether it's the mother computer that houses all these images? Because I know now that you can, as you said, you can use our laptops more as like the remote to search because the file sizes are so large. Is this like a training? Do you have to pay for like a membership? Do you, uh, What process goes? I mean, could I just... Could I do it or do I? Is it open source, right? Can you just yeah. like tap in? And yeah, I mean, some of the imagery that we use is open source. We've realized that like it, the process is somewhat incomplete uh, because of the availability of imagery. So we, we actually supplement open source imagery with commercial imagery. Um, in both cases, the process is relatively the same. Um, we're using APIs, uh, which essentially we write a command from our end and then we're sending that command over to uh, this like to the server that's contain contains the imagery. Mm -hmm. Essentially, we're asking it to say like, "Hey, if, like for for this area, it's almost like you're going to a drive-through. <laughs> it's you're basically saying like, hey, like, yeah, for this for this date in time, for this date range, I'm looking for imagery for this location. Um, and if you have it, send it over to me, and then oh, like either it'll come to me in a in a smaller form where perhaps I'm only looking for like a subset 
of that image, then I could request that image to be clipped and then delivered to me. Or oftentimes we'll actually deploy additional analytics onto the cloud as well. And then in instead of that image getting to my computer, instead it will actually go through the whole process and the final form that I get is actually just like an answer. It will literally say, it'll export me maybe a spreadsheet that says, oh, from that image that was like a gigabyte in size, we have delivered to you a spreadsheet that says there are a hundred farms or a hundred ponds in this area. And it'll just itemize and say, here's ponds one through 100. And these are, this is how big they are in terms of dimensions and their latitude, longitude, location. Yep. And that way, like it's, we're really going from like raw data, raw imagery to like a final, final data point, which is what really, what we really want. So there is there is some sort of training involved because you have to know how to talk to the drive through right, and know what to ask for so that you can get uh, the information that you want. It's not as simple as searching a Flickr account. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I my master's program was like I spent like two years working on per perfecting a lot of these uh, concepts or, or techniques. Well, that's really cool. I always i I knew that's satellites cool. were out there, and I knew that people could look at things, but I have never met anyone who did it. So it's really <laughs> cool to see you know, your passion for it and what you're, how you're utilizing that whole technology. That's great. Yeah. My, uh, my vision of satellite imaging was always like some combination of Google earth and what you see in men in black, where they like are looking in, in real time at like, you can find any person on the planet. <laughs> I mean, I think sometimes the, when we initially talk to people, they, they think we have that level of capability like what's that movie with will smith it's um enemy of the state another will smith movie yeah i, I guess everyone just wants to track will smith for some reason well they do now yeah well yeah they definitely do now yeah after the oscars yeah yeah well so it's so timely anyways <laughs> so we talked a little bit about uh, uh what's next for seaward and kind of what your goals are for the next thing but like looking a little bit more immediate like what are your next steps that you're going to be taking to, to grow this and to to make it uh, more useful and, to people because it's already very useful but like how you know how else are you looking to help your customers and what what, what are you going to do uh, for next steps and one thing to add to that would also be what are you hearing from people who you've presented this to farmers people in the industry kind of add that into that Sean's question as well if you wouldn't mind yeah of course yeah I know um even though we're, we're quite Quite early in our development, we've we've only existed as a company for I think less than eight, 18 months. Mm -hmm. um, we've been working very closely with uh, standard setters like GSA, um, Aquaculture Stewardship Council, uh, but we've also been working strongly with industry, so feed suppliers in Southeast Asia um, and producers. Our most recent achievement was completing our trial with Thai Union, where mm -hmm. um, we were able to really discover a lot of unique capabilities. Um, that's very powerful for companies that have uh, a massive sourcing portfolio. Like a company like Thai Union has hundreds, perhaps thousands of contract farms where they're sourcing shrimp from. And, and Thai Union is one of these companies that has really strong obligations to uh, sustainability. And it's really difficult to collect all the data required to make these types of decisions. So essentially what we were doing in the Thai Union pilot was... Uh, proving to them that the technology works. And the way we would do that is we would ask them to provide us with farm locations, and that's it. And then what we would do is we would map out the entire farm. Uh, we would figure out which ponds were used for production, which ponds were used only for water storage, uh, what the production intensity was. And then we would, we would essentially download hundreds of images from the past 12 months 
and piece together the production um, timeline and profile of that farm. So we would actually come up with a total number of crop cycles, how long those crop cycles were, and then finally like estimate what was the, the actual production volume of shrimp that came out of these farms. And the results were great. Like they were all like above like the 90% range. And this was with Taiyun not giving us a single bit of information about their average stocking densities, um, yield or their you know yield per hectare of pond uh, you know values. And the we information were looking, that they don't want to give out. Perhaps, perhaps. <laughs> and and so yeah, like by using the information we could find publicly, we were able to create these very very close predictions that aligned well with their records. And what we I guess the takeaways was. We could generate data faster than Taiyun could obtain from their farmers in many cases, or the yeah. And when we would get the data from the farms, they're you know they're sourcing from India and Thailand and Thailand, and so there's different languages, and every farm collects data even on an Excel sheet very differently. Mm-hmm. So it's an, it's an extreme headache to try to put this all together, and if you if you multiply this by a hunt like by a hundred times or a thousand times, it then becomes like a very large and slow. Um, problem to solve. And then with satellite data, essentially you can have this type of record keeping done independently um, at all times for, you know, our motto now is one farm or a million. Um, and so we see this as like sort of the, the first step of we can get we can get this entire industry elevated one step up in terms of data collection uh, by this alone. Like we want to see in the next couple of years that essentially anyone producing shrimp or selling shrimp uh, has key data elements of the farm, the, the, the farm out, the pond outlines, uh, the, the historic production activity. And then from there, we can do so much more. But uh, as a lot of advocates are saying uh, in terms of key data elements, we need to start here before we can, we can you know, move on to other, other things. Well, that's exciting. I mean, you just went through your, your trial with a company that is large enough that all those things you mentioned, right? So now not only were you able to prove that you were getting accurate data without any preliminary information, right? Other than location. And what you're streamlining is we now can give you accurate data more quickly, but also the consistency for which we organize the data that they're looking for is there because you said different regions or depending on where the farm is located, they may be recording things differently. So you have to decipher through languages and data and like, what are they trying to say that this person, this country didn't? And so you're simplifying the process really, but I guess the key really is the accuracy and that was what you hit a home run with it sounds like so that's a very promising first first step right exactly and so in terms of traceability and sort of what what is this data like going to be doing for a company like Thai Union and, and to be honest like they're the customer set that we're sort of focused on like mm-hmm. very large companies that are you know have their hands and connections Makes with sense. lots and lots of farms and we see this as a way for a company like us to make the most impact uh, the quickest. Yeah. But the, the general idea is that not only does this allow a company like Thai Union to um, assess risk and basically say, we have this portfolio of farms, we have all this data in a standardized format, now we can start analyzing the performance and start choosing what we should do. So perhaps there are farms that you know aren't necessarily meeting their um, sourcing requirements. What they can now do is choose to either perhaps maybe 
discontinue sourcing from that farm or perhaps you know connecting them or working with them with extension service providers to help them improve their production and be part mm-hmm. of an improvement program um, or even uh, basically sending it's, it's like understanding any sort of like risk in their in their supply chain where um, what we're able to do is actually see uh, crop failures uh, in production because they're the, the farms are going to be discharging all the water and aborting the harvest um, when that happens. So we can actually see when farms are performing poorly based uh, off the number of early pond emptings like in, a, in their record. And this is, this is definitely going to be a big thing for certification where um, imagine like a company like Taiyun trying to get that many farms certified. Uh, the good news is if they've done this process already, they have all this, a lot of this data already ready to go um, that collectively could save days, weeks, I don't know, months, depending on how many farms you're trying to certify. Yeah. Um, having that well, data. If you, if, if you look up uh, Thai Union aquaculture farms or shrimp farms on something like Google Earth, I just remember when I when I was working in BAP and I used to have to locate these farms and like, you know, confirm that the G- GPS coordinates on their applications were accurate and stuff like that. Holy <laughs> shrimp farms. There's just, there's thousands of them. And they're all just lined up right next to you. It's amazing to see if, if anyone has not really, has never really explored kind of an aerial view of, of this area. It's it's crazy the amount of farms that are in that area. And most of them are connected with Thai Union. Yeah. I'm sure you've spent plenty of time looking through those, <laughs> so you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> when I close my eyes, I see ponds. When I, when I, yeah, when, oh, yeah. when I go to bed, I see They haunt your dreams. They do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I guess the other thing I was going to mention is that, yeah, in terms of uh, for certification there, it's really exciting because uh, it can it can make certification work even better because it can help. Uh, you can help find suspicious activity where some, sometimes uh, farms will funnel non-certified crop through their through their system because they're certified. Mm-hmm. And we're, we can catch that very easily because if a farm says they produced, you know, 10,000 metric tons of crop. But if you look at their production cycles, they could have only supported, you know, one fifth of that activity. That's an immediate red flag and, you know, time for time for a discussion uh, mm-hmm. there. And, you know, like that's really kind of like when you know, that's like the warden part of Sea Warden. But I was going to say now it's all starting yeah. to make sense. Yeah. Which is funny because like that's not really so, where we like we were. That wasn't our first idea. But I think other people have told us that. And we're like, oh, now you're we don't really want to be the warden thing. But I guess we are. But someone's got to do it if you can make it easier. Right. So is that something like you talked about how you can get um, when you when you kind of get this data and you collect it, you can kind of get like a spreadsheet of some of the some of the information that's in there is that something that you can get where like if you're reviewing a whole bunch of data from farms can this system kind of like flag those instances somehow i don't know like how, or would you need to just go through it individually to, to try and find that stuff oh yeah so i think you're talking about like meta analysis so essentially yeah, yeah once yeah once yeah, once you map, once you map yeah. and once you map and monitor all the, all the farms and you <laughs> You have data on all of it, and you can just line it all together and say, like, okay, like who's do like which farms are being the most productive, which ones are not, and and we really think this is the a really powerful way to, you know, like really help uh, a big company like meet their like their sustainability um, like commitments because they can see exactly where like oh these farms like we bought shrimp from them and they were the same size as this farm, it, it, but yet the production cycles were like way longer. Which means, like, they're for some reason they're being less efficient. They're feeding more feed. They're using more energy for the same type of product. Um, let's go see what's going on over there, and we can make improvements and make pro- 
production more more efficient. That's cool. That's super cool. All right. So so what else? What I mean, we're getting a little close to time here. So what else do you want to get out there while you have this platform before we kind of talk about how our listeners can be involved in getting in getting contact and potentially even you know be a customer down the road? What else is valuable to our listeners that you think they they'd like to hear? Well, I guess it's we're pretty yeah we're pretty new in the aquaculture space and you know you know two of the three co-founders like had nothing to do with seafood prior to entering uh like you know starting starting sea warden so i think we look at things in a very unique like very like tech very silicon valley type of angle which i think that's like a definitely like a a pro but obviously like there's still a lot we have to learn in terms of calibrating our services to um best meet the needs of the industry which i think we're doing we're doing pretty well and so Although we started out with this very strong, like, and still have a strong, like, focus on um, transparency and sustainability by working with um, the sustainability teams of, of big of big companies and certifiers like like GSA. Um, yeah, we're we're definitely making more and more strides to provide more operational type services, which would include working with feed suppliers to help them do targeted sales, um, working with working with procurement teams to do crop forecasting where we're able to figure out like across a region, like what sort of crop is going to be available um, because shrimp cycles are three to four months long. And if you know exactly what it's going to be like in an area, uh, when as soon as we see ponds fill, we know a couple of weeks for per, um, pond water preparation time. And then three months after that, like the shrimp should be ready. So that's going to become a powerful new tool. And, and then finally, like yeah, farm operations management, this idea of using, um, yeah, water quality estimates from from satellites, but also tying it in with historic data collected from the farms. And I think that's really the big opportunity because this is sort of happening in in like the salmon and cage aquaculture space where farms have these really deep records of production, mm-hmm. but someone needs to go in and analyze all of it and figure out like when things went right, what were all of the parameters that made the situation happen and what were all the parameters when everything went wrong and by coupling it with historic weather data historic satellite imagery and feeding that all into um, a machine learning predictive analytics model there's a lot of opportunity to like unlock value from historic data so that's really the the end goal we're trying to achieve in terms of yeah an operational system for for shrimp farming Super cool. Justin, do you have anything else before we wrap up? No, I think you are not the first person we've talked to who, who has a very, and again, I, I my passion for our episodes are the, our innovations, our innovation series, right? And this is, this is one of those. And I just wanted to say that a lot of people that we've talked to didn't come from the seafood industry. They were very well versed in a technology and were looking for the best way to utilize it, which... And you said this at the beginning of the episode, Zach, that the aquaculture space is primed for innovations. It's, I mean, we've been farming fish for thousands of years, but the way that we're farming fish, I'd say in the last few decades, 50. we have just yeah. seen such tremendous growth, but also, well, and some of that and those successes are through these innovations. So I, we love what you're doing. And you're making all the right steps, right? You're you're talking to people who who your technologies are going to affect, and say, and saying this is what we can do. Let's work together to see how we can meet like this this end goal with this technology. And it's about 
right? These innovations that save time, there's consistencies with data, all the things that you, that you talked about during this episode are just are just great. I can't I can't wait to see what the next few years bring. Thanks. Yeah, thanks Justin. So, uh, if any of our listeners are interested in learning more or would like to contact either you or someone else from um, Seawarden, what is the best way that they can do that? Well, we can be found uh, on seawarden.io. That's our website. And mm-hmm. we're very active on LinkedIn. So feel free to message uh, myself or any of my co-founders. We can be found just through our Seawarden uh, LinkedIn page. Excellent. And we'll put links to those in the show notes. And I do highly recommend people checking out the website if they want to get like a sneak peek of some of these aerial satellite images just to really see the things that haunts Zach's dreams, then <laughs> go ahead and check yeah, right it out. Right on the homepage. <laughs> right on the homepage, yep. Right on the homepage. Um, and like I said, we did get a little more into the weeds on this, but there is still so much mm-hmm. more that goes into this. So if this is something that interests you, I, I really do urge you to to reach out to Zach uh, or anyone else at Seawarden to, to really dive into this because it's fascinating and it's it's, I mean, this is a step towards the future. So it's, it's going to be, like you said, it's going to be really cool to see where it goes and, and how it evolves. So Zach, thank you so much for sitting down with us and, and talking to us about this. And I'm sure we'll stay in contact and we'll, we'll talk to you real soon. Yeah. Sean, Justin, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Thank you. Folks, that was our conversation with Zach Din of Sea Warden. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you learned something, as always. And I hope you have already subscribed to Aquademia wherever you listen. If you haven't, make sure you do that, because that way, every time we release a new episode, it'll automatically download onto your device, so you don't even need to go look for it. Stay up to date on what we're doing and when episodes are being released by following us on Twitter, at AquademiaPod. And if you'd like to be on the show, have a topic suggestion, or would like to sponsor the podcast, fill out our Contact Us form located at globalseafood.org slash podcast. And lastly, we would really appreciate it if you took a minute to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen, if that's possible. Uh, I know that's possible on Spotify now. It's kind of a new feature. So we would really appreciate it if you do that. It really helps us a lot. Thank you so much. And we will talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Ciao.